Welcome to Empowered Mind Body Inspiration. The mind is the map to wholeness, wellness, health. The heart is the key to genius and inspiration. Join me and my guests as we explore how to release and rewire into who you truly are unique, whole, and empowered. Please like, share, and subscribe. Spiral up, spiral out. Welcome, everyone. Today we have Dr. Nadia Bakir, ND. Dr. Bakir says her formal titles are a naturopathic doctor, homeopath, teacher, and mother of two. Her inner core values are described so eloquently by her, I wanted to share it. She says, I am a humanitarian at heart. I love life, the good in everyone and everything. I love learning, adventure, creativity, and exploring the unexplored. I am passionate about my purpose. I am sensitive to injustice and others' pain. This is what makes Dr. Bakir an amazing ND and homeopath. Today, we're going to look at what is homeopathy, some thoughts on mechanism of action, and we're going to have a look at a short case from each natural kingdom so you can get some further understanding of how this medicine works. Some engaging and empowering info coming your way. Let's see what wisdom Dr. Bakir has to share with us today. Welcome, Dr. Bakir. So good to have you today. Thank you, Dr. Marquis. I appreciate being here. Thanks for doing this. <laughs> so our subject today is homeopathy. I know you're a naturopathic doctor and a very um, well-versed homeopath. Let's first just share your story because it's wonderful. You were a complete skeptic before you became so interested in homeopathy. Let's share that story. You were a naturopathic doctor at the time. And I just love it because um, it, it just shows that when you experience homeopathy so profoundly, you want to look further, don't you? Absolutely. Yeah. And it just show it. it's a, okay, I'll, I'll go into it. It's because I'm the homeopathy after it was the last modality I ever thought I would specialize in or, or focus on. Um, so I, I came from, I graduated from U of T sciences and I came across naturopathic medicine, complete accident. I saw the newspaper clip and I wanted to know more about it. So I went to the college and just moved to Toronto and I looked at the philosophy and principles and thought, wow, this is amazing. I didn't know you can practice natural medicine and get trained in it. So I applied and I went to the college and um, we were introduced to, you know, uh, nutrition, uh, acupuncture, um, counseling, and then we were introduced to homeopathy and, and the whole idea of these micro dilutions of remedies that can create all this change in a person and heal them completely just was off the deep end for me. And I thought, no way. I just finished doing this course at U of T, a whole year, third year course on the history of medicine. And um, the the professor was debating between the, um, the theory, the idea of material doses affecting um, health and um, uh, oh, I, I'm losing the word for it. But anything that related to the possibility of microdilutions was considered impossible. It wasn't even like a healthy debate because he was totally one-sided. 
And the, it was, it was such a one-sided course that the students were scared to ask questions about um, microdilutions or the, the concept of, um, of uh, disease being transferred invisibly and all this. So I had a year of training and indoctrination with this. And so when we were introduced to homeopathy and microdilutions, nothing in the remedies and you take this little pill and it can create all this change. I just thought, no way. <laughs> and so, and, but I was, a, I was very um, a hardworking student. I wanted to do well in the program. So I attended every class and I thought the only way I could stay engaged with the material was to ask questions. But my asking questions was all about to try and, get the teacher to not be able to answer, like ask impossible questions. So I was adamant to, to trip the teacher, you could say. And, uh, and so the whole time, the whole, the, going through the first two years uh, in, in the College of Homeopathy, I, I learned the material, memorized it, do well the course, but all the time thinking this is the last modality. This is a confirmation. It's impossible. This is that good. It's the last modality I'm going to use. And then a third year, it was a personal uh, 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 story where I hit chronic fatigue and I needed help. And I thought, okay, if, if I'm going to practice this medicine, I have to prove it to myself that I can improve on these modalities or else I can't go into practice and look patients in the face and say, this is going to work. So I went and I did nutrition, I did TCM, and I you have to know I love traditional Chinese medicine. I mean, that was where I thought I was going to focus all my energy. And to the point where I won the prize, the end of the fourth year, four years, DCM prize, okay? So I go into third year and I, I go into clinic and nothing is working, nothing. And I'm getting very discouraged. I'm thinking, oh my God, I won't, I won't be able to practice an naturopath if I can't cure myself. And then someone mentions homeopathy and said, you have to go see Anu Hussain, he's very good. And I go, what does he do? So homeopathy, I, I roll my eyes and I remember my colleague, she said, look, just go see him because he he does miracles. So I go see him. He takes my case. I'm completely like nocebo effect. I'm saying this is not going to work. I'm just going to go just to, you know, make my colleague happy. And so I take the remedy. And the next day I wake up and I swear to God, my energy was fully back. My hair felt softer. <laughs> Something shifted in me to a point where I thought, what was that? You know, and then I realized in, in a split second, everything we learned in class was true. And I thought, oh, my God. And then then the, then the shame and embarrassment set in because I was always putting down homeopathy. And then that was the light bulb went off. And I thought, I want to learn everything about it. And then, and when I went into fourth year clinic, I was between now TCM, traditional Chinese medicine, homeopathy. And I, I knew I didn't want to learn both systems Uh I want to learn them, but when I practice, I want to focus on one system and, and learn it really well. And then um, I, it just over and over, homeopathy proved to produce the best results in clinic. And then that's where I just went full-time focus on yeah. all my studies after that and, and continually seeing the results in clinic and then seeing patients' reactions. And I remember when I was in their seat and I thought, oh, this is so funny. And the best part was when I started teaching at the college, um, I, I saw the students like deer headlight, their eyes like deers and headlight. And I knew where they were. I, I was there. I, and every time I had a student who was just saying, I don't believe this, this is impossible. I'd like, I, I would chuckle. I go, I totally understand where you're coming from. Just trust and test it before you, you know, completely throw the, 
throw the, the concept out the window. Um, and so I, I also enjoyed the challenge of converting students to the medicine, students who came from, you know, complete science background, well, what's considered conventional science background, and were uh, in disbelief and also antagonizing the possibility. And I, it, it was always fun. It was always a challenge. And I, I enjoyed, you know, seeing how far we could go. Something like that. <laughs> so, yeah, so I was, I was really on the complete opposite end when I started school. I was, I was uh, fairly converted because when in my first year I had twins and I came down with insomnia so bad that I couldn't sleep. And I asked for, you know, tinctures from clinic to help me. Nothing helped until I finally took the remedy coffee and bam, sleep. So, <laughs> so pretty early on, I was like, well, what is this? Because, and I had always studied Bruce Lipton and I knew there was the mind body connection, which really intrigued me. I love his work. Yeah. He's done a huge service to science. <laughs> yeah. And homeopathy took the mind symptoms, right? It, it makes the mind symptoms are as important as physical symptoms. Yeah. In fact, if you only, if you only look at the physical symptoms, Hahnemann, Samuel Hahnemann, the, the uh, inventor or the founder of homeopathy says that you only have a one-sided case. You won't, you won't really see the full picture until you see the whole, you know, the mind body connection is so important. I agree. It makes it more interesting too. Yeah. And so for so long, they've never been able to understand how homeopathy works. But recently we're starting to, there's some really good studies and some information coming out. Can you share that? Absolutely. Yeah. So up until I would say probably the last 20 years, we, we have uh, clinical studies to confirm homeopathy and its, and its success. And I mean, the medicine wouldn't have stayed alive for 225 years. We didn't have that. But the big challenge was the mechanism of action, because I don't think uh, science really has had caught up with homeopathy. And this is one of the reasons why Samuel, Dr. Samuel Hahnemann um, specifically asked that not to publish his third, the sixth copy of the Organon, because the world wasn't ready for it. I don't know if you remember, his wife held on to it, and they all thought she was trying to make money. And she was saying, no, I promised him I'm not going to release it till the world is ready. So it, I think it was only 60 or 80 years after he had died and, and uh, finished it that they actually published it. So definitely medicine ahead of its time. So in the last um, 15, 20 years, when we started real um, discovering, well, quantum physics, but nano, nanotechnology, nanoparticles, um, we uh, was interesting that my first introduction to the, to the, possibility of nanoparticles being a mechanism of action for homeopathy was Dr. Iris Bell. She's a psychiatrist from uh, Arizona. She's also a homeopath and a million other things. She's a brilliant scientist researcher. And she presented a paper in Washington um, as a possibility of action being nano nanoparticles. And she described the, the, uh, the way nanoparticles work and the fact that they had already found Two, two studies have found nanoparticles in homeopathic remedies because you know homeopathic remedies are highly diluted and succussed and dilution past what we call the 12c potency has no measurable material molecules so that's why everybody laughs and says nothing in here it's placebo all that stuff so they found in the 200c potency nanoparticles and nanoparticles 
just to give you an idea of how small they are. So a nanoparticle is defined based on nanometers. So it has to have one side that's 100 nanometers uh, in length. And just to give you an idea of how small that is, a virus can be anywhere from 20 to 500 nanometers. So if a virus is like 500 nanometers, a nanoparticle is 100 nanometers on one side. It's so, so tiny. Because of its tiny, tiny measurement, it doesn't behave like a regular material particle. It can actually travel anywhere in the body. It can pass through cell membrane. It can go anywhere. So um, the exciting part about nanoparticles and technology is that we can now, they, found they can transfer information to all these different tissues. If they, for example, they can use nanoparticles to carry a, a toxic uh, drug, maybe, maybe to help um, uh, AIDS or cancer, but target certain tissues without affecting the liver and all this. So the exciting part about that is that, well, homeopathy they found has nanoparticles and we've been using remedies to carry information to the body for 225 years. So um, that was a huge breakthrough for mechanism of action for homeopathy. And now I think most homeopaths would agree that that is a correct um, uh, assumption of how these remedies work if we want to try and measure, understand their mechanism of action. And two, it would explain the reaction and how quick it is when you have the right remedy. That's correct. Yeah, it's instant. It's information. It's it, you, you're working with. Well, we know that we now know that we are all uh, fields of vibration, frequencies, um, and so if you can somehow uh, affect or influence that vibration, it, energy works instantly. It doesn't take time. It's not something that has to be absorbed and um, uh, metabolized or assimilated by the liver. It's instant, right? So that is that's what makes homeopathy both miraculous and also unbelievable. And that's why it's so hard for conventional um, medicine to understand it and integrate it because you're looking at two different paradigms. Yes. So yeah, definitely ahead, um, definitely a medicine ahead of its time. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I often contemplate the information field, like how do humans know to become humans? How does a tadpole know to become a frog? Like it's, it's, it's energetic and information that allows that to happen. So that has something to do with what's happening with homeopathy, I believe. Yes. And I know I mentioned that this is something in the last 15, 20 years with nanoparticles. Do you remember um, Benveniste, the uh, French immunologist? He worked in France and he had, he ran a lab and he discovered he's not a homeopath. But in 1988, he published a paper in Nature, the famous journal, um, and he showed how uh, anti-immunoglobulin IgE antibodies were um, influencing uh, degranulation of basal cells. But the key here is that he would put these antibodies into solution and then remove all the particles and then introduce the basal cells to the solution, and the basal cells would act like there's antibodies and start degranulating. And so he publishes in Nature Magazine saying there's a breakthrough here, water has memory of what we put in it. And this is a breakthrough in science. He didn't call it homeopathy because he's not a homeopath, but um, it got published in Nature Magazine. And then the world went crazy. The scientific world went crazy and said, this is impossible because now they're showing homeopathy works. Right? <laughs> uh, well, we can prove it in the lab. So um, he, uh, they tried to re 
re repeat his re experiments, they actually brought a, a magician and a, a de science debunker and all these people in his lab to try and recreate it. And they failed. And he said they didn't do the way he asked them. They actually changed the protocol and they, they refused to accept that. And, you know, then he got, he lost all his funding. And he went, uh, he went private and, and used his own money to continue researching. And what's interesting is something like 15 years later, they start, uh, other scientists are saying he was right. And there are ghost molecules in water. And then uh, the famous um, uh, virologist, Luke, Dr. Luc Montagnier, from, also from France, um, who was given the Nobel Prize for helping discover uh, AIDS virus, so he was well known. Um, he called Ben Ben Veniste the modern Galileo, and he said all his work was right. And he's and then um, in 2010, Montagnier left France to go to China because he knew France was going to kick him out for his research because he was re researching how DNA from virus and bacteria produce electromagnetic signals more powerful than any other material. And he was, he was working on that research and realized that he'll probably lose his funding like Ben Finis. So China hired him, big lab in Shanghai, and that was in 2010. And who knows now what's, what he's discovered. So all this, nanoparticles, electromagnetic signaling from bacteria, virus, these are all invisible forces. This is not material you can measure or chemicals or uh, hormones. And then nanoparticles existing in the remedies. Pretty exciting. Right. right? It is exciting. And we know it should be embraced. <laughs> so, Nadia, you're a great teacher. So what I wanted to do was have you share a little bit about how we come across, like, choose a remedy by going into each kingdom, because it is fascinating. And I think it would be, it would really stir up the juices of someone that's curious. So, yeah, I love yeah. Okay, so homeopathic material medicine is very exciting. So how we get, how we find a remedy for a case? First of all, a common question a lot of clients will ask is what are remedies made of? So we have remedies from three different kingdoms. We try, we have over 7,000 homeopathic remedies and we try to categorize them to make it easy to catalog and access. So we have basically remedies made from plant kingdom, animal kingdom, and mineral kingdom. And every kingdom has general characteristics. And we don't put too much emphasis on diagnosing a kingdom for a patient. Only if they happen to present the symptoms, we say, oh, we see characteristics of the mineral kingdom. And it's fun to, to look at it that way, but we're very careful because you can easily, um, you can easily uh, uh, sort of overlap the kingdoms and, and it's not the way you diagnose the case. But in general, um, just for simplicity's sake, uh, plant and Plant remedy people tend to be people who um, are very sensitive to the environment, um, and they they can they have they can easily describe a type of pain in a lot of detail. They can tell you what makes the pain better or worse, and this is because plants are rooted in the soil, and they cannot run away from external stimulus or or dangers or or change in the weather. They have to adapt. So because plants learn to to adapt to the environment to survive, they have to have very um, acute senses to be able to sense what's happening and then adapt to it. So these people tend to come in if they have a pain, they'll describe it in extreme detail and tell you all the things that make it better or worse. 
And that's what tends us to think, oh, this could be a plant remedy because of sensitivity and adaption. Then you have the mineral kingdom people. <laughs> and mineral kingdom, it's all about um, structure and function. And so when, when someone who needs a remedy for the mineral kingdom comes in, they tend to describe their, their symptoms in terms of how it's affecting their body function. So instead of saying, I'm very sensitive, this feels like a type of pain, they'll come in and say, it's preventing me from functioning. It's preventing me from accomplishing this or from thinking or from my body's breaking down. They'll use these kind of words. And right away, you start to see like red flags of all oh, this could be a mineral kingdom remedy. And then you have the animals. <laughs> the animals are interesting because um, animals are all about um, survival and being uh, the fittest. So in an animal kingdom, person will want to reach their top goal in order to be the best above everybody else. It's all about, I want to be the top athlete, the top person. Not like you can have that in the, in, in the minerals, the gold, a gold remedy will want to be the top potential that it has in it to develop itself. But the animal, it's not about being, it's developing its top potential. It's being the best of all the other people in the, in the field. So there's this competition, survival, and jealousy. Wanting to be one up on someone else. It's survival of the fittest. So they people present these qualities in very interesting ways when they describe their symptoms and how they, you know, the story about how they relate to the people in their environment. So generally speaking, we look at uh, 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 um, if it's possible in a case, uh, dividing a case into either one of those kingdoms. Now I'll give you examples because examples are always really fun. Um, so I had a case of a plant, um, plant, um, remedy where it was a child was brought to me and the parents basically came and they said, our six-year-old boy is not our boy. He's coming in for ADHD and night terrors. And they said, uh, we, this is our last stop. And I'm not kidding you. Our last stop before we go to the priest, because this boy is not, is possessed. And so they, they were describing how. Uh, sensitive he was to everyone and everything and at night he would get these ter night terrors where he'd wake up and he'd be screaming and he'd be white as a ghost and he wouldn't recognize his parents and it was night after night and then during the day he would uh he would behave in a way that was uh very uncharacteristic of of a boy like he would be um uh like terrorizing uh if, if there's animals around or pets he'd be terrorizing them uh he would be uh react to any noises in the house. Um, and then he did things like he would growl. So this particular remedy had kids that growl. And so they thought for sure that this boy's possessed. So the remedy turned out to be in the Solanaceae family. So we gave him the remedy. The parents brought the boy two weeks later and they said, we have our son back. I don't know what you did, but he's back to who he is. Like we have our boy back. It was amazing. It was just in two weeks. Actually, I saw them in two weeks, but they said within two days, he was a different person. So that was a really, well, plant cases are, are interesting in the, in kids. And then... Um, Hold uh, on. Now, yeah. just to explain what Solanaceae, we're, we're so versed in, in it, but... Yes, the Solanaceae plant family. Okay, Solanaceae plant, families, uh, plant family is the um, mandragora, the tomato potato family, uh, stramonium. Belladonna, which we know we in modern medicine they use atropine, a lot of drugs. And the whole idea is um, uh, uh, um, it's okay, themes of black and white, uh, themes of 
possession or devil come up. Um, the feeling of uh, being divided between doing good and doing bad. The behavior can be very, uh, very divided, polarity. Um, uh, oh, violence, sorry, violence, aggression is big. Uh, escape, need to escape, need to run, which are very characteristic in this boy and his behavior. And the tricky part about the Solonese family is they have characteristics of animal in the plant family. <laughs> so it's often sometimes people will give people who need a Stramonium Solonese remedy will give an animal remedy when it's really in the Solonese family. Right. Because it appears like that. And yeah. so it's it's the nightshades would be the common. Yeah, remedy. nightshades. Made yeah. Up. Yeah. yeah. And I always find it... Um, it's fascinating how a plant is is available to heal. What is it? It's like the side of us that need, that is um, needs healing. But it's just so fascinating how Mother Earth provided that, and it and the concept that like cures like. Absolutely yes, because those are those exactly the. If you were to take the remedy, if you're a healthy person and just wanted to see what the remedy is capable of producing. You would take it with the intention of experiencing the symptoms. And over days or weeks, you start to experience the symptoms this remedy will cure in a sick person. And that's how we do the provings in, of remedies on volunteers who want to bring out the proving. So it's, it's such an exciting concept that everything we need in the earth is here to cure us. If we just look for it and we use it in a safe and respectful way. I agree. Yeah. None of the homeopathic studies are, are harming animals. They're all done on humans. And it's, and it's healthy exper experiment because when every time you do approving, as Hahnemann said, you actually strengthen your vital force. So when you volunteer to bring information on, on a remedy, you're also strengthening that part of you that has the potential to develop those symptoms. Yeah. And complex. Yeah. 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 And as humans, I mean, we're all programmed in a way and have some part of us that needs to be healed. So it's, it's not like someone else needs it and we don't, <laughs> we all need this kind of, I think of it as, as canceling out the program that's causing the trouble. That's correct. Yeah. The part of us that doesn't belong to us, the vibration of preventing us from evolving and reaching our full potential. And that, that, that frequency is expressed in these signs and symptoms. I always tell patients when they come in, I say the symptoms aren't the disease. That's the language of the body. Your body is a mirror, just, as, just reflecting your inner state. Your inner state includes your perception of your reality, including all the trauma that led you to that, usually a false perception of reality if you're coming in with symptoms. And that's how it starts, is that we are experiencing, our, we see our environment a certain way like wearing tinted glasses, that is not the clear way. And because of this perception, we start to manifest the symptoms that reflect that perception. So when people come in with any, any symptoms or signs, it's always connected to their state. And we, we look at both, both of that, like you mentioned earlier, the mind-body connection is so important. If we only have the physical symptoms, we're only seeing one side of the case, one side of the picture. And that can look like more than one remedy. But as soon as you see the inner state, you get the emotion, the personality, the trauma, the perception of their reality, you now have a full picture and they can zone in on the remedy very quickly. Yeah. And then so powerful. Very good. So which kingdom shall we go to next?
Okay, so uh, let's do the uh, mineral. The mineral is a fun, fun. Um, I have so many possible. Uh, I'll, I'll do two two little cases. One is chronic, one's acute. I got a call uh, do a home a home visit for a patient who is experiencing extreme constipation to a point where she couldn't wait till the next day to, to come into clinic. It was very painful and exhausting, and needed right away to to be um, to be treated. And it was in my internship. So I was doing home visits then. So I went with my, uh, my case of homeopathic remedies and went and, uh, to visit her. And she described constipation. Typically, um, she's been trying to have a bowel movement for days now. And every time she would strain, she wouldn't be successful. But what's interesting is she said, every time she strained, she felt the stool going the opposite way. Like it was just about to come and then it would go the opposite way. And we have this rubric for what we call bashful stool, that the stool refuses to come out and the person feels like it's refusing and going opposite. So the remedy is, well, there's a few remedies in the rubric along with other symptoms was silica. So I thought, and then very early in my practice, I thought this can't be this easy. So I gave her silica at 200 CN and left. Next day, I was in my clinic and I got 12 long stem roses delivered because <laughs> she was feeling so much better. Like that's the extent of how frustrated she was from this one symptom that she sent me uh, roses the next day, even though, you know, I got paid for my services. And I was, wow, that's the, re the relief. That was, that was enough to tell me how much better she was feeling. So that was such an acute, how quickly homeopathy can work. Oh, and, and two... Huh? Oh, I just find experience like even if someone's coming to you and say you didn't get the remedy or the case wasn't clear, it becomes that clear. Yes. In time, it becomes that clear. Yeah. You just wait and watch and allow the information to come. You don't force it. You always just keep asking questions to clarify. We never put words in patients' mouth. We just ask clarify, describe us a bit more. That's the most important thing. And when you when you're with a client. And really they say it's case taking, but it's case receiving. It's information that you're receiving with their permission. You, it's so important to be present without leaving all your experience out the window so that you feel what the patient is experiencing. Try with every empathic ability to be in their shoes and understand from their perspective. And when you, when you do that, you ask the right questions because you're going to keep asking, make me feel what you feel. Describe what you're saying. And you never take it for granted. You understand. So you get a really clear picture of their essence. And when you have the symptom, the information that clear, it's just an easy connection to the remedy. That's, that's true. Yeah. And then another mineral case um, was, uh, I mean, it's so many, but just what's coming to my mind. Um, I had a, a 42 year old male who was coming in for tension headaches. And what was interesting about me, you see lots of tension headache cases is that the headaches were on a very regular basis, like four or five times a week. They're quite debilitating. Um, but about him is he was, a, he volunteered everywhere. He's constantly wanting to help people. And he would, in fact, he would, uh, he would go to Red Cross and give blood on a monthly basis. He was doing that for years. And um, extremely, uh, like the kind of person who, anytime they needed him, he was there. Like he was just overextending himself. And taking on the responsibility of literally the world and all their problems. And so I looked, I knew that someone on, with that kind of um, uh, well, tension headache remedy uh, would be a specific part of the periodic table, but also with that kind of energy and 
responsibility be a heavy substance. In homeopathy, when you look at the periodic table, all the heavy substances tend to take on a lot of responsibility. And he was very altruistic. So I went to the gold remedies, the gold series, and went to the altruistic gold, which is lanthanides. And then I studied the 12th column, which had to do with heavy responsibility and tension um, and, and pushing themselves to the limit to do what they're going to do. And I gave him a lanthanide, samarium and muriaticum, because muriaticum is about caring for, for and nurturing people. And uh, amazing, <laughs> his, his headaches literally within days were gone. And also he stopped overextending himself. He was still helping out, but he stopped going on a monthly basis to Red Cross and, and took start taking better care of himself. But it all came together. It wasn't just the headaches went away because it's not a painkiller. As soon as he shifted his energy and started to rebalance himself, his headaches improved and his health, you know, he regained his health. Can't go into more detail because these are uh, patient cases, but I can give the general gist of it. Yeah. That was exciting because you don't see lanthanides very often in practice, these, the remedies. Mm-hmm. And lanthanides are, they're, they're gold elements that were only discovered in the 1940s because they're hidden in the crust. So they're not remedies we, we were familiar with for hundreds of years. Um, and, yeah. yeah and he, was, he was, had a very heavy load, or he thought he did, right? It was his, his perception that he had to do all these things that were... Yeah, he was driven. It was an internal perception. He was a motivation driven to do this for whatever reasons. But that when that shifted, his headaches went away. Yeah. And it wasn't, he wasn't counseled. There was no psychology. It was just internal things. Started. Uh, right. That's the beauty of it. Yeah. It just shifts things. You know, could you quickly talk about Natmere since we just went through Mother's Day? Yeah, natmir. Okay, so natmir in a simple form is table salt, sodium chloride. In homeopathic form, it's an incredible cure for people who experience a loss in their life and are not able to recover, like chronic, chronic grief that they cannot um, get through on their own. They get stuck in it and can be for years. So the thing about natmir is, uh, well, natrium is on the first column of the periodic table, so they have one electron. And their outer shell, which tend to be one on one person. They tend to like connection with one, one person. They connect very deeply. Natrium connects very deeply to the person they're with. The chloride portion has to do with mother and nurturing. And, and um, what often happens in that mirror is because they connect so deeply to one person, and you know, lots of relationships tend, don't tend to last and they break, they get hurt, they get hurt very deeply, and they cannot then reconnect with someone again because the hurt goes so deep and it takes a long time to heal that and so uh, it's one of our chronic grief remedies um and i'm trying there's so many uh aspects to that mirror but the uh, interesting thing too is they either crave a lot of salt or they don't like salt or makes them sick so there's always a connection with the remedy in in a substance in nature the person will either say they have some relationship with it that's intense and um um, and when you, when people recover, so grief is something you, it's very hard to treat something like grief because you can tell, you can talk to a person and try to convince them and they will hear you, but inside they, it's hard for them to heal that wound. So when you can treat chronic grief by giving a homeopathic remedy that the person inside just shifts, everything just starts to, 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 uh, they, sometimes what they've been suppressing is expressed and then it clears up or they just suddenly start to feel better. 
and it's not temporary. It's actually them healing. It's like a wound is healing. Emotional wound is, is healing right in front of your very own eyes. And um, I think it saved a lot of people from yeah. having years of yeah trauma. <laughs> yeah, I've seen its action. And then I find the connection to the mother so intriguing too with the muriaticum. So like for, are you thinking of the mother and the, and having to disconnect from the baby or leave the baby after nursing the yeah. state grief that the mother experiences and then, and then the child grows up, goes to school, then they leave home and their university and they have their own family. Oh yeah. Over and over. <laughs> right. And it's so part of the human experience. So it, it just is. Now you were going to give another case. Oh yes. So, uh, one of my exciting animal kingdom cases. Actually, this is exciting because it's um, it's a rare condition that uh, you don't often see. Actually, I've never seen it again in practice. Very rare. And it happened to me in my first year of practice. So I think it was almost the universe trying to wake me up and, and show me just the potential of this medicine. Uh, so this was 30 years ago. And a woman comes to me. Actually, she discharged herself from the hospital. She had was diagnosed with tuberculosis of the bone. Not the chest, but the bone. So what happened is she had um, a corn on her toe and went to a podiatrist and they removed the corn. And then she said after that, she it swelled and she thinks they gave her a TB in the bone. Somehow the infection got into her bone and then uh, it started to eat away at her bone. It was ulcerating and they were telling her she's going to have to have her foot amputated. Otherwise, they will be able to stop the infection and this could be serious. So she's in the hospital and she decided, nope, I want one last effort at not amputating my foot. I'm going to go see a naturopath. Why she contacted me just starting practice, I have no idea. All I know is I got this call and she said, I'm on my way from the hospital. And she wasn't even asking for an appointment. She's just coming into the clinic. That was her personality. So she comes in and, and luckily I had a few hours, um, took her case, actually it was three hours of information gathering and she talked nonstop. When she walked in, she had an open sandal. She couldn't cover her foot. It was black and blue, mottled, and the toe was completely ulcerated. Um, it was discharging a bit of fluid. It, it looked very like I was scared to even look at it. And, I, and she said, I, I can't cover it. It's very painful. And then she was starting a couple of sores on the lower part of her ankle where the tuberculosis was starting to grow up, go up her foot. And she said, I don't want, I don't want to lose my foot. Took her case. She also had, so 63 years old, right? Rheumatic arthritis, diabetes, high blood pressure. And she came in with an oxygen tank. So I was shaking in my, <laughs> in my pants, just thinking, I don't know what I can do with this case. And she comes in and she says, I don't like eating fruits and vegetables. I'm not changing my diet. I only eat canned food, prepared stuff, and I'm not willing to do anything else. But I want you to give me a remedy. And I thought, I don't know what I'm going to do. I, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do this. So anyways, but intense vital force. Like she was determined she was going to get better. And she had this intense personality for her to just, you know, come into my clinic without an appointment. And so the, this is all part of the case. So we know, um, well, number one, the, the determination, intensity, and the loquaciousness and, um, she also exhibited a lot of jealousy and, and survival type characteristics. So I knew it was going to be animal kingdom and the uh, loquacity and 
the oh the sharpness of her memory. This is 30 years ago. She was sharp. She could tell me every name of every doctor she had for the last 20 years. It was uncanny. I couldn't believe it because she's on oxygen and she's got serious pathology. But mine, sharp, witty, and very, very witty. I was, my back was up against the wall. I didn't know. I, I was very, very careful what I asked her and writing everything down. I was exhausted after I realized these are all the characteristics of the snake family of remedies, loquaciousness, extreme sharp wit. The mouth would move faster. Sorry, the mouth, the mouth could not keep up with how fast her mind was. And she had all these characteristics of, we know that in the snake remedies, they, they, they uh, lick their lips and their, um, the tongue is coming out off and on, like um, objective symptoms. But really, it was the sharp wit and memory that that really threw me. I couldn't believe it. And then we all also know that poison remedies tend to decompose very quickly in disease. So the fact that she had this decomposition, she had the blue model, the purple model foot, um, and the intensity and vitality of uh, and I, I repertorized. I didn't just think, oh, I think this is an animal thing. But I actually took the symptoms of three hours of work, put them into the repertory, which is the index of Medica program we use, and came up with a snake remedy. And I gave it to her. And I said, I want to see you in a week. Because I was, I, I honestly thought she wasn't going to come back. But she came back in a week and all her sores had closed. Her foot color was back, almost pink. And she said the doctors were astonished and told her she won't have to amputate her foot, that she was going to just have to amputate her toe <laughs> now because it was down to her toe, but it already was healing. But they thought she was going through some spontaneous remission. They couldn't explain it. And she was, you know, wanting to continue working with saving her toe. They insisted that she had to remove her toe. But in that week, her energy was back and it came back. She didn't need as much oxygen. And she was like, her spirits were so high. And then I continued treating her and um, they removed her toe because they scared her and said, you know what, this is an opportunity. You won't lose your foot. So she got her toe removed. She was very upset about that. A month after starting the remedy, we had to decrease her insulin units by a third. She was showing very lo low blood sugar levels because now the insulin was too much for her. 63 years old, diabetic for over 10 years. And then she was telling me, uh, and she was now going to play bingo, going out in the evening. She had no energy before. Um, and, uh, her, and her foot was completely back normal color. And then within two months, she was complaining that she had to go to the hairdresser and pay money to cut her hair because now her hair was growing and hadn't grown for 10 years. I didn't give her any supplements. <laughs> she wouldn't take anything but the remedy. This was a gift. It was a gift to see just how much potential the body has to heal, regardless of age, regardless of the medications they're on, the disease they have. It was amazing. And that just opened up my world in terms of potential. So when I think it, it really made me even go deeper into homeopathy. And yeah. And she didn't use anything else. So it was clearly the remedy. Sometimes yeah. that's not the case, right? Well, yeah. A lot, of, you're yeah. Unsure. a lot of times you go, we need to clean up your diet. Like we were taught early in school, make sure you clean their diet up so the remedy works better. Make sure that they have all these, you know, nutritional uh, uh, deficiencies, meet all the, and then prepare them for the remedy. This case, 
went opposite of everything we were taught. And because I had, she didn't want to do anything. She would not do anything. She was adamant. Yeah. <laughs> so I got to see in the most extreme extent, just how well the body can heal just with information with the homeopathic remedy. Yeah. And you took a case and took what we call rubrics, a lot of symptoms into consideration, but that what she had looked like the bite of a snake when you're poisoned, we were bitten by a poison or yeah. poisonous. It did. Yeah. The, and we, the last thing we want to look at is what does this appear to be looking at? But definitely it confirms the case when someone comes in, the objective symptoms are very important. Of course, the color, the model, it had the, the spotty modeled appearance, which is, um, which is what would look like exactly like if you were poisoned by a snake. But honestly, when she came in and I was busy writing and taking all the information, I didn't know what I was going to give her. I didn't, I just took information. I was just gathering it, trying to get the picture. And, and of course, being early on in my practice, I didn't have the experience of all the remedies. But what came up on paper, the rubrics, was lachesis. And then it dawned on me, it looks like a stink bite. It looks like poison. And that was exciting. That was really, really neat to see. And, and since then, I've, I've learned when a person needs a poison, a remedy made from a poison, whether it's a plant poison, a snake poison, or animal poison, uh, they tend to be, they tend to have the, the, um, the acceleration of their disease tends, when they get disease symptoms, they accelerate very quickly. But when they heal, the opposite happens. They heal very quickly. So some of my favorite cases, because I know if I'm going to give a remedy made from poison, this person is going to heal faster than, than the average remedy. This is typical of my experience people who need a poison remedy. Yeah. And I, I find it so fascinating because people, you, we, you take a complete case and includes mind symptoms, other physicals, but their focus is on their foot. Right. And so they think like, like medicine, like modern medicine, that you're healing their foot when really it helped with the diabetic situation and it helped her as a whole person. Yes. Yeah. Including, I didn't mention this, but she had many surgeries they were they opened her up so many times because they were trying to figure out like she had abdominal issues so she from years and she would show me her abdomen and she said this surgery was eight years ago and there was still purple color there was a hematoma that hadn't healed it was like her body was decomposing and all those hematomas all the purple marks and all the surgeries healed after this remedy it's like her like she got a breath of life and it was all from her because the remedy on its own is inert. It's there's nothing in it except information. These nanoparticles, but when it's introduced to the system and it's it's the exact code that the person needs, the information is taken and the person responds. And it's all about their body amplifying that information and using it for healing. The two go together. You can't separate them. So it's fascinating. It's fascinating that you can have. You can experience this clinically and just how many more people could benefit from this type of medicine. Yeah. But that's why I became so entrenched in homeopathy when I saw this very early on my own personal experience and then seeing, you know, I'm not saying every case was a big success. Some cases you can't find the remedy. You work really hard. So it's always, you got some great cases and you got very difficult cases that sometimes we never find the remedy. And it's not always um, uh, easy, but what keeps us going, I think, is when we have these type of cases and you see these kind of cures, you go, I can't ever stop doing homeopathy. 
because if you know this is it's, it's you can't put a price on it you no. can't hard to even describe the satisfaction of seeing that happen and you know i think it's camilla share that says if i didn't see this kind of thing happen do you think i would practice homeopathy like you we see this kind of beautiful healing happen yeah and this is why we exactly why it's a very uh it's a difficult medicine to go into because it's not appreciated uh it's often put down by conventional science because only recently we're starting out to to confirm the science of the nanoparticles um but this is why we're so passionate people are why why are you so passionate about this because this is what i'm living this i'm seeing it i'm living it it's to, it's so phenomenal. It's hard. It's so hard to put words to. And and uh, I feel like when I when I'm in practice and I see these cases and people come back so happy and so relieved, I feel like I'm double dipping. Like they're so happy. I don't even want to charge them. It's like I'm making <laughs> on this, making a living on this. <laughs> on its own, it, it feeds all, all satisfaction when you can when you can apply it and see something like this happen in real life. It's just yeah. Yeah. And and the mothers that are converted, you know, they they come because it's safe. And when they see like I've had cases of, you know, their baby crying for hours after eating and can't get any sleep and then after a remedy just gone. Sleep. Baby's vitality is fantastic. Oh my god, my own my own son. My my son was born with a congested chest. I'll never forget it. He was, he's now in his twenties. He was born and I can hear his chest rattling and I'm thinking, Oh my God, he's inherited the asthma and the family. And sure enough, uh, he got diagnosed with asthma and I was told he will need steroids for the rest of his life. And I'm like, no, after what I've seen in practice. So I didn't want to treat him because he's my son. He's too close to me. So I brought him to a homeopath and worked with treating him. I bought the puffers. I had them at home just in case there was anything urgent. He never took a puffer. And the doctor that saw him was a pediatrician who was semi-retired in his 80s. I wanted someone really experienced to give, give me the facts with him. And he, uh, so I trusted him. And he said, absolutely, he's got full-blown asthma. When I took him back to get examined, he did a 45-minute physical exam on my son. This, I took him back two years later. And he looked at me, he said, I don't get it. He's scratching his head. He's looking at the file. He said, I go, what's wrong? He goes, he's supposed to have asthma. <laughs> he goes, he has no asthma. What did you do? And I said, I took him to a homeopath. We give this remedy. It wasn't like instant. It took time. He was improving until it's completely re- reversed. And he said, he wrote it down. He said, keep doing what you're doing. That's amazing. He goes, keep doing it. Thumbs up. Yeah. Yeah. And some people it happens very quickly and sometimes it needs to be repeated over time, like you're saying. Mm-hmm. And Nadia, I just wanted you to clarify about these uh, poisonous remedies because sometimes people get freaked out. Oh, it's a poison. But Maybe. that's the whole yes. thing yes. about homeopathy, right? So just, just clarify that for people. Thank you. Yes. Oh, I hear you. Yes. Okay. So we rem- remedies made from uh, plants and animals. Some plants and animals are poisonous in nature. But because we use micro dilutions where there's no material molecules or particles in the remedy, it's inert as a poison. It, it can't harm you. It's completely safe. There's nothing material in it. 
Yeah. So when I hear the, you know, these comments about the FDA talking about homeopathy in this way, I'm like, they really need to at least educate themselves on what homeopathy is. Right. Absolutely. And we use poison in pharmacology in way higher doses. When we, when we talk about belladonna from the Solanaceae family, the, the nightshades, atropine is the concentrated belladonna that's extremely toxic and poisonous. And we use atropine in medicine. We use morphine. Uh, these poisons are fantastic in pharmacology and as painkillers. So uh, it's not, a, you know, if you compare homeopathy, <laughs> there's no material in it. So it's, it's even to, to even question. It's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So it's the energetic imprint that's yes. treating like cures like the nanoparticle, the micro dilution. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you were also expressing why the excitement in what you do and why you're still doing it so passionately. Incredible. Thank so, you. Yes, right. <laughs> I think you have a, is it a skim milk story to share? Oh, yeah. So someone, someone once asked me, well, students ask me all the time, what happens if you don't have the remedy? What do you do? And, and you know the remedy patient needs. And I tell them this story. One of my clients once called me from the cottage and she was having a migraine. Very debilitating. And honestly, I didn't. I, I took the call and I thought I'll, I'll repertorize and I'll see what I come up with. But she's in an isolated cottage. How she going to get the remedy? Well, it just so happened the remedy she needed was made from skim milk. So I asked her, I said, uh, and skin milk and homeopathy, um, lactifloratum is a, one of the remedies we have for migraines. I asked her, do you have by any chance skin milk in your fridge? She goes, yes, I do. Why? I said, well, your remedy is made from skin milk and there's no way you're going to get it where you are. But, and if I send it to you, it'll be too late. It'll take days to get there. And I said, well, what, let's have you make it. She goes, yeah, I'll do that. So then I described how we make it. We take a drop of the milk and we add it to 99 drops of Normally we put alcohol. She didn't have alcohol, but we used water because she wouldn't, it, it would be stable enough for her to use it. But if we're going to make it for a uh, long shelf life, we'd have to use alcohol. So she did the dilution. It took her about an hour to dilute and succuss. So we got her to a 6C, which is um, just to give you an idea what a 6C dilution is. C means centesimal, one in a hundred. A 3C is one in a million dilution. So you can imagine what a 6C is. So she did the 6C and took the remedy. And I, I, I had her call me half an hour later. Her migraine was gone in minutes. And, I, and then I said, okay, if it comes back, take the remedy again. And so she had to repeat it two, three more times. And then that was it. And she enjoyed her cottage experience. <laughs> I was so happy she had skim milk in the fridge because, right? I don't even, yeah, it, it was just, it was, it was great. It was great. She was so happy with that. But the, I mean, that's the beauty and maybe the reason homeopathy isn't so popular is because you can take one drop and yeah. create a remedy that can not only treat one person, but many people. Because it's not the, it's not how much, it's not the quantity it's the vibration, it's the frequency, it's the nanoparticles. Like we know now the power of nanoparticles. And now it's almost becoming household name, nanotechnology, nanoparticle. You need so little of it. But if it's the correct dose, then big things happen. And what happens is the body has the ability, it's just stuck in this cycle. So I always, I describe to my, my clients, the remedies like a catalyst. 
if I give you information that is vital to you. So let's say if, if someone's sitting in my office and um, they love music and then their favorite band is Coldplay. I got that recently. And I said, oh, Coldplay is having a free concert tomorrow at two o'clock, you know, down the street. They will do what they can, cancel the day, get themselves there physically to go to this concert because they love Coldplay. But if I told them, oh, there's a Barbie doll convention down the street tomorrow at the same time, they're going to hear me, but that information is not vital to them. They're not going to care. So when the information, and, and all I did was say it once, they don't have to have the information every two minutes or every, every second. I just gave them information once. That is vital to them. And so they use the information because it means something to them. I also like to use the example of if I gave, a, if I told Bill Gates I've got the winning number for 649 for a million dollars, he he wouldn't even bat an eye and look at me because, I mean, I think he makes a million dollars a minute or something or a second. But if I went to, uh, you know, a, a indebted university student, I said, I have a winning number for 649. I didn't give them anything except information. I didn't give them money. I didn't make them do anything. I just said, I have this information. And they they need that to get themselves out of debt. They take the information. They use money from their pocket. They go to the store, buy the ticket, win the money, pay off their debt. All I did was give them information. And was it a lot? It was a number. That was it. Did I put it on a big, big board, poster board? No. It was a little tiny. Here's the number, right? same idea so um i like to use those examples because you don't need a lot to eat but you need the right information yeah and it's so inexpensive like and the healing is so deep that it's incredible the the remedy is inexpensive yeah but getting to hire someone to go to a consult and pay someone to figure out what you need Absolutely, that would cost you the time of that person and their experience. <laughs> but if you compare it to years and years of being on a medication, you can't compare it. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. But in remedies, the profit isn't very high. No, not at all. That's why in Cuba, remember they treated um, the epidemics in Cuba because Cuba had that U.S. embargo and they couldn't bring drugs. And when there was an epidemic of, uh, I think it was leptospirosis. Yeah, and uh, millions of people are affected, and this is typical. They say it happens every, I forget, five or ten years, and they know how it's going to affect the population. Well, they thought it's pennies per for homeopathic remedy, so let's just give everybody the remedy, and they gave the nosode, and they saved hundreds and thousands of lives. And they compare, right? They did the chart. They compare to previous epidemics of the same nature, and they said they were shocked by the results. And there, that's pennies per per person that uh, cost Cuba very little. And that's public. That's published in a journal. Um, I don't have access to right here right now, but that would be something easily accessible. Yeah, it has been used in epidemics very successfully. Nadia, can you quickly, uh, for our viewers, just explain potency because it's, you know, it it confuses a lot of people that don't understand homeopathy. Okay, so yes, great question. Potency is, there's two factors to potency. There's dilution and succussion. So when we want to find, when we want a remedy to become, to make it into homeopathic potency, for it to be therapeutic, first of all, for you to be able to use a substance effectively, um, what 
Okay, let me go back. <laughs> um, so as you know, Dr. Samuel Hyman experimented with homeopathy is highly empirical. All of his, let's say 90% of what he developed in homeopathy, he tested it and he was a scientist, doctor, chemist, and a physicist. So he developed the idea that if you take a substance and you dilute it and succuss it, so you shake it, so you dilute and shake, dilute and shake, the substance becomes less and less material, but more potent therapeutically. And he discovered this in practice. So in homeopathy, when we say potency, what we mean is we mean how many times the remedy was diluted, the substance diluted and succussed. So typical, the typical scale we use is the C scale, which is centesimal, which means one in a hundred. So let's say we want to dilute um, skim milk. We would take a drop of skim milk and we would add it to 99 drops of water and alcohol. We use alcohol because it's a stabilizer. And then we do a rigorous shaking, a beating to it or a shaking. Sometimes we do it like this. But this is all, of course, the homeopathic companies do this with the machine now. So you do this 100 times, and that dilution succussion is now called a 1C. Now, if you want to make a 2C, you take one drop of the 1C, add the 99 drops, water and alcohol, shake it vigorously again, or beat it 100 times to get a 2C. When you get to 3C, it's one in a million dilution. When you get to 12C, it's beyond Avogadro's number. But what's interesting is it's extremely powerful in terms of information being transmitted to the body. The person responds to it in a healing way. If you just took the substance and diluted it and gave it to the person, they wouldn't have the same effect. Very little. If you just took the substance on its own, you would have very little therapeutic quality to it. So they found, they've actually done these um, using high resolution electromagnetic uh, uh, microscope mi microscopes they found that the outer outer shell of, of the substance, the outer um, electron shell, changes in terms of um, how, how close and far it is from the nucleus. And something, the configuration changes every time you dilute and succuss. And so there's something uh, about the process that creates this resonance that, and I think this is how we create nanoparticles and, and signaling where the information can be now amplified in the body that that has that effect. So when we say potency, we mean how many times the substance has been diluted and succussed, how many steps. And um, does that help? Is that? Clear? Yeah. And, you know, it's confusing to people because you'll give them a 30 C or a 200 C or a one M and a 200 is actually uh, more diluted and therefore more powerful. It, yeah. Like in a way it, it has to match the, the person. Yeah. Yeah, you the vibration. People often think, well, so dilute, it's not, it's it's weaker. It's actually the opposite yes. because when it's diluted with succussed. And we say dynamization because uh, the word dynamization means you've you've given it, it's got it's more energetic somehow. Something about it is more powerful that way. And so yeah, there is a potency scale that starts with it can start with one C, two C, three C. The typical potencies available in the stores are six C, twelve C, thirty C, two hundred C, and then in one M it's a thousand C. 10 is 10,000 C. And, um, and because it's not a material substance, you don't repeat it every day. You don't repeat on a regular basis. I always, I, I always uh, like to, do, to explain to clients the best way to repeat is to listen to your body. If I give you information and you get it the first time, do I need to repeat it again? No. But let's say you get it, then you forget. And then you need to be reminded. That's when the time to take it. So it does two things. 
Number one, it, it makes the remedy work better for longer because you don't lose sensitivity to the information if, if you don't repeat it too frequently. And it also gets people to be aware of their symptoms and be more in tune with their body. So I love teaching people that. And, and I think that's how remedies work best. Um, if someone isn't capable of, of knowing when to repeat it, then I might give them just a, an idea of, you know, take it on a regular basis this much, but then start to see, be aware, try to be aware of when the body needs it. So I like to say it's a catalyst. It kickstarts a response. Once you see the response, giving it or taking it again doesn't make you better faster because the body wants to start, starts to react. It's going to do it in the best way at the best rate for you health-wise. You can't speed that up with more remedy. But what would happen if you took it anyways is that you lose sensitivity. And I love using the example of if you hear a song that you love that invokes emotion in you, you haven't heard that song for a few months and you turn it on you listen to the song and you feel, wow, just elated with it and you love it. If you keep playing that song over and over, after a while, it have no effect on you. And then it's like, but you took more of the song. Why isn't it more, you know, making more of the emotion? Because now you've desensitized. You've overtaken what you didn't need. So that's the example I like to use of the remedies. Because a lot of people take them and they read the label and it says take three times a day and just take it without knowing. And that label is really uh, very misleading that we have a label on all the remedies because, like, you know, for... Um, um, uh, uh, FDA purposes, yeah, and, uh, yeah. because they have to put some instruction to it, but yeah, yeah. And instead, it's very individualized, and you have to listen to your own body and how it's reacting as to how you retake it. Yes, and I'll I'll, I'll give you an example of just how extreme that is because this this is surprised me. I had a patient come and she came in she had stomach issues, um, gallbladder, stomach, and um, um, and emotional stuff. So I, I took her case two hours. I got the remedy. It was clear. I was so happy with it. I gave her the remedy one dose. I thought I'm going to give her a medium high dose. She won't have to repeat it. Come back and see me in a month. Month goes by. She didn't come back. And I thought, Oh, maybe the remedy didn't work. She was disillusioned. And I, I never bug patients if they don't come back. Cause I, I'm very clear. I'm here. If you need me, contact me here. So if they don't come back, I let them come when they need 10 months later. She comes back in, she books an appointment. And I'm like, oh, I thought you weren't going to get back. What happened? She goes, well, the remedy worked great for nine months. She goes, and then my symptoms started to come back. So I came back for another dose. One dose, three pellets, 200, nine months, gone, your symptoms, everything. And I'm like, could you not have just called me and let me know? <laughs> right? <laughs> I <had to> know. <laughs> yeah, it happens all the time. And yeah, and so that's an example how she just needed the reminder, another dose, and then she yeah, would post again. That's an extreme example of nine months where symptoms are gone. Um, it doesn't always happen that wonderfully that long. Uh, often I find like a 200, anywhere from four weeks to eight weeks, generally speaking, but it's so individualized. And had I told her, just take it every week or every month, we wouldn't have seen this result. So well, yeah, exactly. So that's just how different homeopath homeopathy works. So wonderful. Any closing remarks? Any other anything else you want to share, Nadia? I could be here all day. <laughs> I know, me too. Um, <laughs> um, let me see if there's anything else. Um 
Oh, it's just so exciting. Um, I would encourage, okay, so people who are listening, I would encourage you to, uh, if you're really interested in homeopathy, see how it works for you, is to see to have someone who's trained to take your case and learn. You can ask questions and you can learn from that. But it's so important to be objective because when you start to look at remedies and read them on your own, you start to see yourself in almost every remedy and it can be very frustrating, misleading. And, and when you t- start to self-prescribe, you lose that objectivity. So I encourage people, if you want to test this medicine to see its potential, is to see someone who's, who's licensed and trained to do it. And that's where you'll really get to, to benefit. Um, self-prescribing is, can be difficult and frustrating. <laughs> um, yeah. At the same time, like some people have been completely converted to homeopathy through using remedies acutely, like uh, Arnica with an injury. And then they're so impressed by the reaction. That's true. Yeah. That they've symptoms. Yeah. But the more complicated, the deeper, the more you need a full case taken. Yeah. So it's good you brought up Arnica because when, when a, um, a, a symptom or a condition is experienced the same way by everybody in the same way, like bruising, everybody feels bruising the same way. There's no individuality to it. The remedy is the same. People can take it direct and go, yes, I know Arnica will help. Or nerve pain, hypericum for nerve pain is very specific. All humans feel nerves the same way. When the condition is more individualized, more chronic, and it really takes on a, a, a more um, different reasons for developing it, how they experience it, then the remedy becomes more challenging and uh, is good to have the help of someone to figure out what you need. <laughs> exactly. Perfect. Yeah. And how do people find you if they want to reach out, learn more, or have their case taken? Thank you. Uh, I have a website, www.naturopathicpractice.com, and you can uh, look me up on the website. And I will include that in the write-up so people can find that very easily. Thank you so much. And (laughs) I hope we got some others as excited as you are taking a case. Thank you, Dr. Markey. Enjoy, always enjoy having a chat. Thank you, Dr. Pakir. And for everyone out there, don't forget, don't give away your power to anyone else. Be the creator of your own life. Spiral up, spiral out.